Well, great to see you everybody. A very warm welcome to part five of our uh, Bible series as we continue to look through the whole story of the Bible. Today we come to the central theme really, the theme of uh, Messiah. The Messiah or Christ means the anointed one and we find in the New Testament as we move from the old into the new that in the New Testament it's Jesus of Nazareth who is that long-awaited Messiah. And what we're going to look at today is why God sent his Messiah and what it means for us today. Uh, just the other day I was um, stood in front of my kitchen sink doing the dishes and I was feeling pretty terrible. I'd had something of a, a disagreement with my uh, wife, nothing for anyone to worry about, just the normal kind of uh, disagreement that any husband and wife can have when the wife is being unreasonable. And that's a joke, okay. Uh, but I was there doing the dishes and just going over in my normal over-analytical way, just sort of thinking, you know, how do I get out of this feeling? What can I say? What parts of my personality can I change that make me re react the way I do? What kind of books can I read and so on? And then my wife came into the kitchen and she said to me, is everything okay? And she said it in such a way that does make me think, actually, I wonder if a lot of this is just in my head. But anyway, uh, I said to her, actually, I'm feeling pretty stressed and pretty irritable, really. And she said, was well, there anything I can do? I said, well, you can give me a hug and you can tell me that you love me. And so she did just that. As I was doing the dishes, she came up behind me, she gave me a hug and she told me that she loved me. And in that moment, I found, with all of my sort of uh, um, uh, over-analysis, my uh, tortured, windswept and interesting personality, kind of going through all the things I needed to do to solve my issues, I found that actually I didn't really have a tortured, windswept and interesting personality. Actually, it was all dealt with in that one moment. She gave me that hug, she told me she loved me, and after that I felt absolutely fine. Perhaps you've had a similar experience where you're feeling pretty troubled, you're going over it in your head and you're thinking of all sorts of solutions and then all of a sudden a demonstration of love, perhaps from a, a friend, maybe a message from a family member, or maybe a touch from a loved one and all of a sudden you realise that actually you didn't know it but that was what you needed all along and that simple demonstration of love is transformational. Well, if it can be like that, with the imperfect love of an imperfect human being, how much more transformational can it be when we have the perfect love from the perfect God? In fact, the God who is, as it tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, the God who is love. How much more can that transform our lives? And what we actually see is that what God did in sending Jesus Christ to us, he did that as that demonstration of love for us. We see in the scriptures, perhaps one of the most famous scriptures in the whole of the Bible, John 3.16, that God sent his son Jesus, motivated by love, as a gift of love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life life. And actually this is my testimony really, um, that God showed me his love by sending Jesus. When I became a Christian, when I came to know Jesus, I received that love and my life was transformed. Happened for me in my early 20s. Uh, I just want to make absolutely clear, you know, I had a, a great family around me, great upbringing, great friends, good job and so on. But nevertheless, how many of you know that life can just, life can just get on top of you sometimes. And actually at that point in my life, uh, I was extremely uh, anxious, I was very restless, and I was really very depressed. 
If you'd have asked me what was going to be the solution to those things, I could have given you all sorts of things that I was longing for, all sorts of things that would satisfy me. You know, I wanted a, a new girlfriend, perhaps a new car, a, a better job, um, maybe to be taller, maybe to be uh, better looking or whatever. The one thing I probably wouldn't have told you is that what I needed was to receive the Messiah who came in the first century. And yet, I was invited to Kingsgate Church in Peterborough by a friend, and at the age of 25, I came to know that Messiah, that Christ, that Jesus. I came to know that I was loved by God, and my life was completely transformed. And I pray as part of this message that those of you who don't know Jesus and have not come to know him, that maybe you're there and you're in a similar situation to me, you've got issues and you don't know what the solution is, but you're pretty sure the solution isn't to get to know Jesus, I would say, hold up. <laughs> you don't know until you've looked into it. And maybe like me, once you've received the love of God in Jesus, you'll realise that it was that that you needed all along. Or perhaps you're watching and you're already a Christian. Well, I pray that this message will remind you of how God has shown his love for you in Jesus, the Messiah. So let's take a look then, how God has shown his love through us, uh, through Jesus, his love to us in the Messiah, in two particular ways, through the Messiah's life and through his death and resurrection. So firstly then, let's look at how God has shown his love in the Messiah through his life. Um, my wife Becky and I, we have uh, two boys, Jack and Isaac, and we're expecting another baby uh, in April of next year. And so we're getting prepared for that, lots of changes going on. I must admit my wife is taking the brunt of those changes as she did with the, uh, the other two. But one thing I'm trying to help out with is in deciding on baby names. And if you've been through this, you know it's a pretty stressful thing to do to try and decide on a name. When Jesus was born, actually that stress was completely taken away from Mary and Joseph because visiting angels told them what his name should be. Very useful for them, but very useful for us as well. Because in the ancient world and throughout the Bible, when names are given, so often they are laced with deep meaning and significance. And it was the same with the names given to Jesus. We read in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 21 and 23. These are the angels. You are, given, uh, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save their people, his people from their sins. And then in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. So on the one hand, he's to be called Jesus. Now, Jesus actually means God is salvation or God saves, so he's to be a rescuer. On the other hand, people will call him, the angel says, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So we know from this that Jesus is to be a, a saviour, a, a rescuer, but also, and perhaps um, more of a, a, a bombshell uh, to Mary and Joseph and to the people of God at the time, he's actually to be God with us, God himself. As we know that Jesus, uh, the Messiah, was not necessarily expected to be the second person of the Trinity, but we know from the vantage point of the New Testament that Jesus, who's actually God the Son himself, stepped out of heaven and come down to earth to take on human flesh. It's extraordinary. Left that wonderful heavenly comfort zone of being in perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit to step down to earth and come that he might rescue us. And what does that tell us? It tells us that not only, as we saw before, did the Father send the Son as a gift of love, but actually the Son himself came because he loves us. 
Think about it. If you are willing to step out of your comfort zone for somebody, it's because you love them. Uh, just the last couple of weeks, my little boy Jack has been having nightmares. And it's horrible when you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear him screaming. Now, when I wake up for my alarm, I must say, I don't leap out of bed. It's nice and comfortable and warm in there. And the last thing I want to do is get up. So normally what I do is hit snooze and give it another five or ten minutes. But when I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear my little boy crying out, even though it's comfortable and it's cold outside the bed and all that, I don't care. I throw that uh, duvet aside and I rush straight into his room so I can give him a hug and let him know that his father is with him. Why? Because it doesn't matter how comfortable I am, I'm more than happy to leave my comfort zone to rescue my little boy because I love him. Well, Jesus left the ultimate comfort zone. The Son of God came down from heaven itself to be with us. Why? Because he loves us. And it's that glorious truth of the incarnation, Jesus, of the Son of God taking on flesh as a human being that we celebrate every Christmas. But from that incredible start in his life, the Messiah then kind of goes a bit quiet. We don't hear much about him really until he's around the age of 30 when we then see the launch of the kingdom. Now, Messiah is like the, the one anointed to rule, like the king, and we see his kin kingdom being launched. We see his messianic mission really come underway. And I love the way this is shown in Luke's gospel in particular. It happens in chapter 4, we read about Jesus going into the local synagogue. Now a synagogue uh, means uh, a gathering place and what Jesus was doing was simply going in as he would at the weekend just like we might go into church. The synagogue ruler at the time would decide on who was going to speak that day and when he'd chosen someone, what that person would do when they'd come to speak is they would read the scripture, what we now call the Old Testament, and then they would uh, expound it. They would unpack it. They would say what it meant. They'd give the explanation. Again, much like we would do in church with a sermon. And the speaker on this particular day recorded in Luke chapter 4 was Jesus. And so he goes into the synagogue, um, he's handed the scroll, and this is the scripture that he reads. And it's a fascinating scripture because it's a messianic prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. So written some seven centuries or more before the time of Jesus. And it explains what the times will look like when the Messiah comes. What the kingdom will look like when the king comes. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so Jesus reads this word to the words to the congregation in front of him. And it's basically saying, this is what it looks like when the king is here. And then he hands back the scroll and then they're all watching him. And of course, what they're waiting for now is for him to give the explanation of what it means. And we see exactly that in verse 21. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, his explanation of what, it will, what this scripture means is, it's me. I am the Messiah. I'm the king. The kingdom is now at hand. And this is what we're going to start seeing. And it's incredible. We're going to see blind eyes open. We're going to see the oppressed go free. We're going to see the poor receive good news. This is incredible. He's saying the kingdom of God is come. It's about to break out. But you might say, well, hang on, Tom, if this happened in the first century and the kingdom of God is here and it's this wonderful place where all blind eyes are open and the oppressed go free and there's freedom and forgiveness and all this kind of stuff, 
How come I'm looking out my window, I'm looking at my community, I'm looking on the news, and I'm not seeing all this wonderful freedom and great stuff happening and so on? Well, it's because the kingdom of God works in a more mysterious way. While it's inaugurated here, it's not finally consummated, completed until the second coming, which uh, Andrew will tell us about in a couple of weeks at the end of the sermon series when we look at the second coming. But in the meantime, what we see is we see the kingdom of God break in wherever Jesus' rule and reign comes, wherever there are people following Jesus, believing in Jesus, and we see him working. This, for me, I think is a helpful picture of this. I don't know how familiar you are with these stories, but in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the wonderful children's book by C.S. Lewis. In that book, the whole land of Narnia has been turned over into a curse by the evil ruler, the White Witch. And she has uh, cursed the land of Narnia so that it is always winter, uh, but that it is never Christmas. But then what starts to happen is certain prophecies have spoken about a king that is going to come. And that king is Aslan, the lion, this picture of Jesus. And people start thinking that actually these prophecies are about to be fulfilled, or as they put it, Aslan is on the move. And it gives us a picture of what it looks like when the evil ruler is about to be overthrown and the loving king comes to take their place. What does the land start to look like when the prophecies are fulfilled and the loving king comes to the land of Narnia? Well, we see the frozen rivers all of a sudden unfreeze and start to uh, have these beautiful streams of water flowing. We start to see signs of the spring break out everywhere because when the loving king comes to the land, everything changes. That curse is going to be reversed. And so we start to see when the uh, Aslan shakes his mane, spring will come again, as is the prophecy. That's effectively a picture of what we're seeing here. Jesus is saying that the land has been turned over into a curse. You remember Amy told us about the fall of humankind when we turned our backs on God a few weeks ago. Well, we've seen since then, if you like, the kind of Chernobyl effect of the fall, the nuclear fallout of sin and fall as the land is given over to a curse. But when Jesus comes back, we start to see spring come and break that winter. We start to see the kingdom of God break through. The kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That is, wherever Jesus is around, wherever the kingdom is at hand, wherever it's on show, we start to see that evil rule, the effects of the fall, that nuclear fallout, we start to see it reverse. We see blind eyes open. We're going to see good news for the poor. We're going to see the oppressed go free. And by the way, Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He wasn't just a great teacher. He certainly was with sermons like this and the Sermon on the Mount and so on. But he walked the walk as well. In his ministry, we actually see him go around and doing these things, opening the eyes of the blind. We think of blind Bartimaeus or the man born blind. We see him take those people who are the outcasts of society and welcome them in and forgive the seemingly unforgivable and heal the sick and cleanse those with leprosy. We see him actually break in the kingdom of God everywhere. But more than that, it's not just a magic trick where people have healing or things are changed or anything like that. No, we see lives transformed. People come to Jesus and they follow Jesus. They stay with Jesus. When the loving king comes, he starts to overturn the forces of evil and the curse of sin and of the fall. And love starts to reign again. And we start to see lives transformed. One touch from the loving king transforms lives. And we're about to see that now as we watch this wonderful testimony from Simon. So please watch this. I lost my own dad uh, when I was eight years old. Um, there were quite serious circumstances. 
he he was murdered. Throughout my early teens and 20s that affected my behavior, I got into all sorts of trouble, um, a lot of trouble. Um, I was quite an angry kid, quite a violent kid. And, you know, I didn't really sort of talk. I would, you know, my fist did more talking than my mouth. And then I met Jenny, who is my lovely wife. And I met her dad for the first time when I was about 29 years old. And he was a bedrock in terms of my spiritual development. He was somebody who listened to me intently, took me seriously. Um, and that spiritual element that he brought changed my life, changed my outlook, changed everything. You know, I actually was one of the power bearers at his funeral. It was probably one of the hardest days of my life. The sense of loss I felt was it was quite profound. I didn't realize it would affect me that badly, but it did. When I finally sort of accepted Jesus into my life and starting to go through the Bible, um, it was just mind blown by some of the truths in it, or some of the claims that were made, some of the things and the way God described himself. And I'm like, well, you, so you did all that for me. Your son died for me. Didn't make any sense to me. Why would you die for me? You, know, you see the state of my life, you know? And at the time, you know, there was you know, alcohol, all the rest. It was all there. It was all the things that you could possibly do to run yourself off the road. Um, but God came in and through his word, which was just massive, just started to really start to, I started to put stuff together. When I finally realized that God is my father, that it changed everything. It changed how I focused. It changed how I saw situations because I knew I wasn't alone. Sometimes in this world, you go through things and you think you're on your own. You could be in a whole room full of people and feel like you're on your own, but you realize that God's your father. So at no point are you alone. And that was a game changer. That's the most profound truth I can say after what maybe 20 years as a Christian coming up. He's with me. Well, wasn't that a great testimony? One touch from the loving King changes everything. A life transformed. And you notice that Simon talked about not only knowing, uh, coming to know the love of God, but knowing that Jesus died for him. So we're not just thinking here about how God showed his love in the Messiah uh, through the life of Jesus, but also through his death and resurrection. And that's our second point. So how God showed his love in the Messiah through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, I proposed to my wife on Christmas Day of December 2012. Uh, I turned up at her family home where she was celebrating Christmas that year um, and as a surprise and having met her at the doorstep I took her into the living room and got down on one knee in front of the Christmas tree, opened up uh, the little jewellery box and inside there was an engagement ring, uh, a symbol of love. I asked her to marry me and I'm very glad to say that she said yes. But can you imagine if instead of that um, engagement ring, uh, when I opened up that box, instead of that, if there'd been in there a little gold model of a, a guillotine or perhaps an electric chair, uh, can you imagine what her reaction would have been then? I don't think she'd have said yes. I think she'd have said, get out, you weirdo, you've ruined Christmas. You cannot expect somebody to take a symbol of torture and accept it as a symbol of love. 
And yet, with the cross of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we do all the time. It is known far and wide as a symbol of covenant commitment, of forgiveness and of love. And yet in the first century, the cross was nothing like that. See, what the cross was, was used by the Romans as a brutal tool of torture. The Romans would come into town, they would occupy you, and if you messed with them, they would strip you naked, beat you, and nail you to a cross in a nice high public place to basically say, this is what happens if you mess with the Roman Empire. Everybody else, take note. And yet today, there's a total transformation. The cross, instead of being this brutal symbol of torture and of oppression and of power, is instead a symbol of love. How on earth could that colossal change in the way the cross is perceived take place? Because something monumental happened in AD 30 when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And obviously this is a massive subject, there are huge tomes written about this, but I just want to sum up how wonderful it is, just with a couple of points. Firstly, on the cross, Jesus was your um, willing substitute. And I first want to emphasise that word willing. Jesus died for you on the cross, and he did that as an act of love. As it tells us in Galatians 2.20, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died on the cross and he died on the cross willingly as a sacrifice for you because he loves you. But the second word there is he was a willing substitute. He took your place on the cross. All of us have done things that are wrong, things to hurt other people, things to harm ourselves and things that harm God. Those sins, as the Bible calls them, basically build up a spiritual debt that we'll never be able to pay. Just like in any court of law, if you've done something wrong, there needs to be a punishment. But what Jesus did on the cross was he took that punishment on himself that we might never need to face it. And this is recorded in, again, the same prophet we saw before, Isaiah, talking about this messianic figure. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In other words, he took the punishment that we deserved. He was our substitute on the cross that we might never pay the price for the things that we've got wrong. Why did he do it? Well, again, because he loves us. Remember when I was uh, uh, younger, I was pretty cheeky. It used to get me in trouble with the bigger boys sometimes. And I remember one particular incident, incident, one early summer evening, walking across a field in my hometown, and there was this... Um, uh, older and much bigger lad, uh, got up. I can't remember what I'd done to upset him, but it was clear he was upset with me. And he started making his way towards me, and it was very clear he meant me harm. If you're thinking this is rather a violent story uh, for church, don't worry, we were teenagers. We're not thinking knuckle dusters and lead piping. We're talking about, you know, noogies and headlocks and things like that. But nevertheless, he was coming towards me, and it was pretty intimidating. But actually, I faced no harm. I didn't face the punishment I deserved because one of my best friends, Teddy, who's still one of my best friends to this day, who's a lot bigger than, uh, stronger than me and braver than me, he jumped in the way and him and this other guy wrestled and it got broken up eventually. What did he do? He substituted for me. He took the punishment that I deserved upon himself. And why did he do that? Well, we were teenage lads, so we didn't put it this way, but and I'm very grateful to him for this. It was an act of love and of friendship. He was a willing substitute for me. He took the punishment I deserved because he loved me. That's a small picture of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. He was our willing substitute. 
But as well as being our willing substitute, what else happened on the cross was a wonderful victory. And again, first let me emphasize the first word, wonderful. See, on the cross, Jesus took our sin, but actually the cross isn't complete. Good Friday isn't complete without Easter Sunday. See, Jesus was taken down from the cross, laid in a tomb, but on Easter Sunday, he was no longer in the tomb. The tomb was empty. He was raised from the dead. So what happened in his death and resurrection was a wonderful victory. It wasn't just that he died in our place and took the price for us. It wasn't just that he absorbed the punishment for sin and evil and so on. He actually overcame them. He rose again to defeat the powers of evil forever. And he was given a new resurrection body, which is a picture of the resurrection body that you will receive if you come to be part of that new kingdom, of that new creation. And we can see it's a new creation story when we read in Luke chapter 24, when the um, women go out to see um, Jesus at the tomb. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Did you notice the language there? It was on the first day of the week. This is evoking Genesis chapter 1, the days of creation language. On the first day God created the heavens. This is a creation story. With the resurrection, Jesus is creating the world anew. And he invites you to become part of that uh, new creation. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. If you want eternal life, if you want to be part of the new creation, then come to Jesus. Have your sins forgiven on the cross and join in his victory over sin and death that you will never die. That when you uh, die in this earth and go to be with the Lord, that one day you will receive your new resurrection body and live with him in the new creation, the new kingdom forever. He died on Good Friday to take your place and take away your sin. He rose again on Easter Sunday to bring victory over the powers of evil and death that we need never die and be part of that new creation. And why did he do it all? He did it because he loves us. Again, in Romans 5, 8, emphasized here, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So throughout his life and through his death and resurrection, God shows us his awesome love for us through Jesus the Messiah. And perhaps you've never got to know Jesus the Messiah. You've never become a Christian. You've never turned away from your sin and put your faith in him and felt that love. Perhaps, like me, you were thinking that's not the solution you need. But perhaps it's just that, that longing for love that all of us humans feel. Perhaps that is what you're looking for without you even knowing it. Well, I want to give you the opportunity right now to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and you can follow along just praying in your heart. You can pray out loud if you like. And if you follow along with this, Jesus will come into your life today. So let me pray for you. Lord, I turn away from a life led without you. I believe in you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Forgive me for anything that was not of you, for anything that I have done wrong. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit and with your love. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to congratulate you and I want to welcome you. And also there's going to be a link come up on the screen. If you follow where that goes, you can see how you can find out about next steps and the like. So please do that. But thank you so much uh, for listening. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this. hope you enjoy the rest of the series, learning more about where we fit in this whole wonderful story of the Bible. Thank you.